In uh, John chapter 4, Jesus, I want to double check here, yeah, Jesus uh, stops at a well to get something to drink, and a woman comes uh, there, and she's from Samaria, and of course, at that time, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't associate. The Jews really looked down on the Samaritans as racially uh, impure. Some of you aren't sitting in the right seats today. I'm all thrown off, which is good. You guys are supposed to be over there. And Jennifer and Vet, you're supposed to be up here. And Victor, what are you doing up here in the front? So, and Tom's on the front row. I'm really freaked out. So, okay, well, that's good. That's good that you're sitting in different seats. That is good, but I'm a little off here. Okay. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so he meets this woman and uh, they have this long conversation. And uh, my goal this morning is not to exegete this passage, but uh, to draw out a principle to use as an introduction. Uh, in verse 15, uh, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water because he had been talking to her about spiritual uh, refreshment and uh she was focused only on her earthly condition. Uh, he was zeroing in on her spiritual condition, her real need. So he was using water and the drink as a metaphor, but she hadn't quite caught up yet. Uh, she's like some of us. She was a little slow uh, to catch on. Uh, in verse 15, she said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and I won't have to come all the way out here to draw the, this water. Uh, And by the way, wow, so often we're so fixated on our physical needs that we miss what the Lord's giving us spiritually. Um, But anyway, verse 17, the woman answered and said, "Uh, I have no husband. Uh, And Jesus said to her, you are correct (laughs) Uh, when you say you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands uh, and the one that you're now living with is not even your husband. Um, So you have said truly. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Uh, So he just kind of cuts through everything to get at her uh, spiritual need. But he was speaking to her in the context where she was living. Uh, And I want to focus the next, I don't know, maybe six weeks on family life issues. Biblical principles of what is family uh, we're going to look at biblical principles for marriage, uh, biblical principles for parenting. Uh, we're going to look at biblical principles for people who are single, uh, people who are single and wish they were married, people who are married and wish they were single. Um, now, you're laughing, but you know, some of you are going, preach it, preacher. Uh, we're going to look at what the scriptures say to widows. Uh, We're going to look at a lot of different things about what is family? What does it mean uh, according to the scriptures? But I thought this was a really interesting situation because Jesus is telling her um, she's she's living with this guy right now. And Jesus says, just because you're living with him, that doesn't mean you're married because that doesn't define marriage. Uh, God has said that marriage Uh, uh, If you're going to live with someone of the opposite sex and enjoy all those benefits, you need to be married. So Jesus uh, wasn't winking at her sin. But it is interesting that Jesus didn't stop to pound her over the head 
with the truth of how her life wasn't right because he was more concerned about her heart. He was more concerned about her spiritual uh, destiny. In other words, he was able to prioritize. OK, yes, it's not good that you're living with this guy and that you've been married five times. But, you know, he's saying basically we'll talk about that when we get there. But, you know, you have something going on in your life that's even more important than than that. Uh, you need to realize who the Messiah is. You need to realize your spiritual need. Uh, so he was able to focus on the right things. And, you know, yesterday we were invited uh, some dear uh, I'll say family friends of ours. We went down to uh, the Temecula area for a Pop Warner football game and uh, were able to visit and uh, during the game and then go to lunch. But uh, it was interesting. I was talking to this young gal and her husband was helping with the football. Uh, so, you know, and she's um, living with him and and she had a lot of questions for me. Uh, and I think Lisa had taken a couple of the kids to go to the snack bar or something, but, uh, she had a lot of questions for me. Uh, she had a ring on her finger, but you know, he said it's more of just a, to affirm our, the commitment we have, you know, they've been together seven and a half years, but they're not married. Uh, he's been married two times before, uh, and she has three children from three different fathers and, uh, the man she's with is the father of her youngest, and she's a sweet gal, just sweet. And the kids are just so, just wonderful kids. And uh, and he's got kids in other places. And so she had questions about the relationship, and she was a little distressed and and all that. So I thought about this passage. It's like, okay, am I going to go down this track and talk to her about her situation, you know, with this guy and all this stuff, which is really what she wanted. Or do I see here that there's some spiritual needs here that need to be, you know, addressed before we even talk about, you know, this stuff? Uh, it's been my experience. Hopefully it's been yours that, uh, you know, some people accuse the Bible or accuse theology of not being practical. Um, of biblical teaching, biblical principles of not being practical. And I, I take offense at that. Um, as we study God, as we study Christ, as we study the Spirit, uh, you know, ideas have consequences. Uh, and then what I believe about life, what I believe about relationships, what I believe about marriage is based upon the Scripture. Uh, it's been my experience that as men and women become more passionate about their faith in God as they become more committed to submitting themselves to the authority of his word that a lot of their personal problems work themselves out. Now, now they don't disappear. I'm not saying, oh, accept the Lord and your life is going to be a bed of roses. If anyone in here would say that, I would want to talk to you right after church. <laughs> but. What, did this, what does the scripture say? It says the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. Uh, the choices we make sometimes make life harder. And I have found that when I am desiring to love Christ and obey his word, I'm a better husband 
Amen? Okay. That wasn't loud enough. Uh, I'm a better father. Uh, I have found that when women are more passionate about being obedient to the scriptures and uh, they want as their highest priority to exalt Christ, I found that they, in many ways, naturally become a better wife and a better mother. You know, and those, does that make sense? If it doesn't, just say yes so that you, you humor me. Okay. But I guess what I'm saying is, you know, there are, life is always going to be full of problems and storms and things we have to work out. And many times there are consequences that we have to work through for our choices. But all I know is that when we make following Christ and sticking as closely to the accurate interpretation of the word as possible, I want to say, I don't know if I want to say it's easier, but a lot of things become less hard. And many times the situation hasn't changed, but we say this doesn't seem as hard as it was before, but the situation hasn't changed because I think when Christ in the word is the priority, it transforms our thinking. Uh, now my purpose in this bad marriage has changed. Uh, now my purpose with this difficult child has changed uh, because now it's. How can I exalt Christ in this versus how in the world can I get out of this? You know, I guess. So anyway, so as I was talking to her, uh, I was just uh, and we have a history uh, with them. And I was just trying to encourage her toward making her own life right with the Lord. I didn't really want to get into all the family, marriage, children issues, even though those are very important, because it's almost like trying to put a band in on a third degree burn, uh, because you want to make sure we take care of the uh, the real need first. And, and I saw Jesus doing that with this woman. And I just have felt uh, is that as hard. Well, it's easy for you to see. That's hard to see down there. I have just uh, been burdened for a long time, but particularly just in the last few months, uh, that we need to do this uh, family fall conference or whatever we want to call it uh, for many weeks and, and look at some of these. Because the, the idea of family... And I'm not going to use the terms traditional family. I don't like that. I think that's more of a secular term. I want to use the term biblical family or godly family is really under attack uh, all over the world, not just in uh, the United States, but everywhere. Uh, and so I think it's important that we address this uh, because for a few different reasons, and you see it on your outlines. If you don't have an outline, are there some extras out there? Uh, the ushers, I don't know if they had any left, uh, but we'll see here in a moment. Uh, you'll have a whole collection of marriage and parenting and uh, how to live as a single and all that. When we're done with this series, I've numbered the pages. So uh, you want to make sure you bring those uh, and keep all of those. But the answer to this question is important, first of all, because many today are minimizing the importance of the family or they have erroneous ideas about 
what the family is and the role it should play in our society. Uh, it's extremely changing all of the time. You see, we have to understand what something is, right, in order to use it properly. Right? That, that makes sense, right? Uh, any of you guys get a new tool uh, or something like that, you have to know how it works, right? <laughs> You're like, not really. I just use it. You could be using it improperly, right? And then someone's going to get hurt. <laughs> But uh, a lot of men don't like to read the directions. Uh, in order to use something properly, we have to know what it is. It's the same with family and marriage uh, and parenting. We have to know what it is before it can happen properly. Uh, it's also important, secondly, because ideas always have consequences. Uh, the biblical idea of family is strenuously opposed all around the world. Uh, so many different things are constantly uh, being written. Uh, and it's really swung to a, to a really far left in a lot of places. Uh, this guy named O.R. Johnson uh, wrote this piece called Who Needs the Family? You know, and his whole point is the family is obsolete. Uh, it's an ancient idea. Uh, it's used its purpose and we don't need it anymore. Uh, and the same with marriage, you know, and in 1994, the United Nations declared 1994 the year of the family. Uh, but that was really scary. The things that they were promoting, uh, they were saying things like um, there is no one model for the family. Uh, they were saying things like the purpose of family is to transmit cultural values. Uh, the U.N. said that family is really all about diversity. And so anything goes is what they said. Uh, they wrote in their pieces of work on that in 1994 that the family is a subjective thing. There is no one single ideal for a family. So you see that there has been so much change uh, just in recent decades, uh, rapid, rapid change and redefinition. And, and people are very confused about uh, the purpose of marriage, the purpose of parenting, uh, even the purpose of relationships. Uh, and how to relate to one another. And I think we should begin by looking at it uh, this way. And I think I put scripture, all the scripture on your outlines. Uh, scripture tells us in many places that the, we believers and Christians are involved in a war. Uh, the war motif in scripture is very clear. Uh, Paul says in places things like our struggle is not against flesh and blood, uh, but against, you know, the dark forces of evil and spiritual places. Uh, he told the Corinthians, we don't fight our uh, wars with weapons that are made by man, but with spiritual forces that God gives us, including his word and prayer uh, and other things. Uh, and the scriptures then also make it clear that our real enemy is Satan. 
and that he and all of the forces that rally around him directly oppose God and oppose everything that God stands for and everything that God wants. And I hope we'll see, we'll do a two-week introduction probably, because you know me, we'll have to stretch it out. Therefore, Satan is directly opposed to marriage and family, as defined in Scripture. And we'll see why, hopefully, after we look at some things from the Scriptures this morning. Uh, Because the family and marriage, and it is interesting, you don't have to have children to be a family. Because the first family had how many people? Two, a husband and a wife, and kids came later. In fact, we'll see what I like to call the TPT principle in the scriptures, temporary, permanent, temporary. God's design was that my relationship with my parents be temporary. My relationship with my wife is permanent. My relationship with my own children is temporary. In God's plan for marriage and family, the spouse takes the priority. See, that's huge, isn't it? I heard some of you go, oh, (laughs) that's huge. And we'll look more at that later. And I also want to add, I don't want anyone either accusing me falsely or I don't want anybody feeling badly because you don't come from the biblically defined structure of husband, wife, child. I didn't come out of a home like that. I myself, as your pastor, my parents divorced when I was 12. Boatload of problems pulled into crazy town. I mean, there was, I mean, it just a lot of things. So I myself uh, didn't come out of that type of home. So I don't want you feeling bad because I think you'll see That God has great encouragement for you. And if you're single and you don't understand why you're single and you don't want to be single, why won't God bring me somebody? I think you'll be encouraged by that, too. Maybe by the end of it, you'll be saying, I want to stay single. No, no, I'm just kidding. Hopefully not. Hopefully it'll be the opposite. But don't don't feel uh, odd. Don't feel weird. Don't feel hurt. Uh, Because you know what? God is sovereign over Your family and your relationships and where he has you and what's going on. He wants to use it all uh, for your good. And so hopefully we'll see that as we move through here. So we know Satan uh, is against everything that God stands for. Let's look at some things. We won't get to them all today because there's like 12 or 13 Things that Satan knows about the family. I think the devil understands the importance of marriage and family more than we do. And that's why he attacks it so fiercely. And maybe we'll see uh, more clearly as we move through here. What does he understand? First of all, he understands that the family is the basic building block of every other social unit. Uh, Or institution. So we ask ourselves, how did God start the world? What did he create first? Did he create the church? Did he create the nation of Israel first? 
Did he create human government first? Did he create the family first? He most certainly did. Isn't that mind blowing? Maybe not. But when we stop to think the very first unit, the very first institution, the very first organized structure that God created was the family and specifically the husband and the wife. And we're going to spend a week or two on what God expects from husbands and what God expects from wives. And uh, we'll have some things for the children uh, and the teens and young adults to learn as well. Uh, but upon everything else in culture in the world, God gives a theological priority to the family. I mean, the opening chapters of Scripture is all about teaching about family. So it's very serious. It's very theological. It's very Christocentric, meaning Christ-centered. We should get a sense of the responsibility. Number two, Satan knows that the command to multiply, replenish, fill, and subdue the earth, which we see in Genesis, was given to a family. There's a cultural mandate given there in Genesis 1 through 3. And what we learn there is that when families thrive, the image of God thrives. Because the family unit, and we'll see in a moment, I'm already getting goosebumps, and I've been over this, I don't know how many times already. The family unit is a reflection of being created in God's image. There's something in that union between man and wife that reveals to the world something about God himself. It's very unique. And that, my friends, this whole and we're not going to even touch on the cultural wars that are going on, you know, with gay marriage and and gender and all this stuff. We might brush it a little bit, but I think scripture will speak for itself. But the, all these issues, even Christians miss the point. These are all theological issues first, because they're all tied to the image of God. They're all tied. All these issues are tied to the beginning of all things, to the order and structure of creation in human relationships. We'll see more about that in a moment. So. There's something unique in the family unit, particularly husband and wife, that reflects the image of God. Satan also knows that the family is unique and irreplaceable in God's program, and that's why he must destroy it. And what we mean by unique is, as we see the creation story in Genesis, we learn that there are not many options for living. There is only God's declared way of living. And it doesn't matter how culturally acceptable something is. If it's not aligned with scripture, then we know it's not God's plan. And it takes great courage to be able to say that. It takes great faith to be able to say that. But I think we can also have great confidence to be able to say that. That there aren't optional ways to live among each other as men and women. 
that God made us, he designed us, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. And so he knows how he wants us to live. Fourthly, Satan knows that the family is of utmost importance to God's program because God starts his revelation to man with extended teaching about marriage and family. We've already mentioned that. Genesis 1 through 4, the Bible begins with teaching and instruction on family life. Satan hates it. It's tied, the family's tied directly to when God begins to reveal himself to all mankind. And by the way, the way we live with our families, when we're at home and we're together, reveals something about our God. Always, always family relationships always reveal something about our God. Fifthly, the family is of utmost importance to God's program because everything else grows out of the family and depends on the family. How many things in your life come from your family? The way you look. You can blame your parents. You two guys, I'm sorry. It's your dad's fault, the way you look. So, blame him. Sorry. If I were you, I'd hire a lawyer. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. The way you dress. What about preferences for foods that you like? Where did those first come from? Probably from what your parents fed you. Now that things change. But what about mannerisms? What about attitudes? What about preferences? So much of who we are grows out of where we came from in our family life. Has anyone ever said to you, you sound just like your father? You sound just like your father. That sounds like something your mom would say. You look just like your mom. It is interesting how you can look at some people and then stand next to their siblings or their parents and there's just no denying but then if they don't, if you can't tell that they're, they're from the same family by the way they look, you spend some time with them and the way they talk uh, and some of their mannerisms. Uh, in my family, there's nine kids. Uh, and my sister, Sheila, she's four years younger than me. But boy, are we a lot alike. Wow. The, the secret me. Maybe you don't know the Sheila part of me. So, But... Uh, she says things like, dude, you better back off or you're going to get something you don't want. <laughs> that's my sister. <laughs> She's, I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh because that's not funny. But, uh, but sometimes the way we talk, the phrases, the words, just the attitudes, you think, oh, she is definitely her mother's daughter. Well, that, that is definitely... In our family, Mallory is very much like me. And I've apologized to her again and again and again. Jay is very much like Lisa and her side of the family. And Nate's a good mixture. But you know what I'm talking about, right? So much grows out of the family. So much is dependent upon it. That's why. Do you see why that would make it important to God's program? 
because we as parents pass on to our kids, not just physical attributes, but spiritual attributes, uh, communication attributes, how we solve problems, um, how we you know what our expectations and hopes and dreams are for life. It's very important, isn't it, Uh, to make sure that we're passing along those things to our kids that God wants us to pass along. To go with that, this is the flip side, the family is of utmost importance to God's program. And Satan knows this because distortions and deficiencies in our families will produce the same distortions and deficiencies in every other human institution. That makes sense, doesn't it? When our families are thriving, when our families are godly, it has a godly impact upon the culture. And when families are struggling and when families are not godly, that too has an impact on the culture, right? And upon the world. Because everything we are, we take out with us into life where we live. And that affects everything. As the family goes, so goes society. We're moving pretty fast, aren't we? You're shocked, aren't you? Okay. Number seven, Satan knows that the family is important to God's program because God uses the family as a way of reflecting the communicable attributes of his nature. So let's pause here for a minute. Communicable is a form of the word communicate. There are certain qualities in God's nature that the marriage and family communicates to the world. In other words, we the scriptures say what we are made in God's image. There are certain attributes that we have as human beings only because God has them. We are logical because God is logical. We are we can love because God loves. We even have anger because God has anger. We communicate because God communicates. You see, there are certain things programmed in the fabric of our human nature Because we were created in God's image. Now, he does have attributes that he didn't communicate through us, such as his holiness, his absolute moral purity, his omniscience. He knows everything, his omnipresence. He's everywhere all at the same time. There are certain things he didn't communicate to us. But in marriage and family, there are many of his attributes that he does communicate uh, through us. And here are some of those. Uh, and you have, I think you have blanks, right? Genesis 127, image. That's the word that goes there. We're, we just learned. We were created in his image. Notice that God is both or displays both unity and diversity, doesn't he? God displays unity because there is only one God. The cry of Israel is, there is only one God. But we know that there's also plurality within that Godhead, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So there's both unity and plurality. Marriage between a man and a woman, according to God's plan, is the best way to reflect That diversity in unity. We have a plurality of sexuality with male and female. Some will tell us that gender distinctives are not important. I beg to differ. I believe that gender distinctives magnify the Trinity or the triune Godhead. 
We have the distinctiveness of female and male coming together, the Bible says, in one flesh in the marriage relationship. So we reflect diversity within unity in marriage and sexuality because God is both unity and diversity. He's one God, but Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So we don't need to point out, do we? But I will anyway. That when we change up that combination of relationships, we mar the earthly symbol we see of the triune Godhead. That's what should pain us about the rapidly changing sexual morals in our country. That's what should pain us as Christians more than anything else, that the image of God is being destroyed. Sometimes I think we get angry for the wrong reasons. We get angry for the wrong reasons. We also see in the Godhead independence and interdependence. And don't we see that in the family unit? We see that in marriage. We see that in family. Isn't it wonderful how God has structured the family to reflect and to give a testimony of his existence? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all play different roles, and yet they are one God. A husband and wife, children, family, we play different roles, we have different functions, but we are one flesh in the marriage and we are one family unit. We have the independence in the sense of, you know, I have nine siblings. It's kind of easy. I don't know how many of you come from really large families. How many come from large families? Sometimes it's easy to get lost in the shuffle. But the good times when you could blame it on someone else and there were so many kids, they didn't know who, you know, was doing what. But we have our independence in the sense of the scriptures say in Psalm 139, God knit me together in my mother's womb. He knew all my days before even one began. God sees me as an individual. And yet within the family, we're interdependent on each other. Just because a man and a woman come together and they get married, that doesn't mean as they become one flesh that that individual person melts away and disappears. Now, we'll talk about what that means when you come together, but you still have that. And the equality and the subordination, we see that all over the place in human relationships. A lot of people don't understand biblical submission when the Bible says to the wife, uh, submit yourselves to your husbands. A lot of people don't understand what that means. It doesn't mean that the wife is a doormat. It doesn't mean that the husband is king of the house and he's the boss. Uh, that's not what that means. Uh, that's a military term. It's talking about structure. It's talking about order so that things can operate most efficiently. Now, we all know I'm smart enough to know that my wife is much smarter than me in a lot of ways. OK, that's crazy to say, well, God put the man in charge because he's the smartest. Uh, hello. If any of you guys dare say that, you're in big trouble. I would say apply a cast iron frying pan to your head as soon as possible. So it's not about submission and leadership in marriage. It's not about who's the smartest, who's the strongest, who's the most talented. Who's, it's not about that. It's about God structuring and designing the, the roles and the responsibilities in the home in a way that would most glorify him. And display him in the world. And by the way, did our Lord Jesus Christ ever show submission to anyone? 
He certainly did to his heavenly father. He was eternal God from eternity past with no beginning. The scriptures tell us that he himself was present at creation and that he himself created everything. And yet he lays that glory to the side to step down into our world and be completely dependent upon his father and to allow himself to even be put to death to pay for our sins. So even our Lord practiced equality and subordination. So we see that in the family and marriage as well as the Godhead. We see creativity when God says be fruitful, multiply and how men and women can come together and create a new life. That's creativity and God is creative and then fellowship and we'll see companionship. It is interesting. Before man came on the scene. Who did God hang out with? I mean, wasn't that, wasn't that boring? I mean, there was nobody to hang out with before he brought all these billions and billions of people into the world. Who did God hang out with before man showed up? I know hangout's not a theological phrase. Maybe you're troubled by that. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit always were, still are, and always will be in perfect fellowship with each other. They didn't create us because they were lacking something. So we see that fellowship. And by the way, we'll see that the primary reason God created marriage is for companionship. Marriage is the antidote for loneliness, according to the scriptures. And I realize some of you automatically you think, wait, I'm married and I'm still lonely. Yes, that can happen. But that's not supposed to be that way. That's not God's plan. So we'll look at that. And some of you say, well, I'm single. I'm lonely. So why doesn't God let me get married so I won't be lonely anymore? We'll talk about that, too. Maybe there's some wives that would let you borrow their husbands for, you know, just platonic domestic, you know. Okay, never mind. All right. That was going nowhere fast. Okay. I could just see some of the looks on you women. You're like, well, she can have my husband for a couple of weeks. Uh, 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 But that's not allowed. Genesis 126, where it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule. I think I put this on your outline because it's really interesting the way that that's. uh, I want to find that where I put that. Uh, I put the singular and the plural, didn't I, on your outline so you could see exactly what Genesis uh, 126 is saying. Uh, Page three, thanks. (laughs) I wrote it. I just don't know where it is. But it's interesting that it says, let us, plural, us, God, plural. Why would they say plural? Because there's a trinity. Let us, plural, make man singular in our plural Image singular, that's interesting, according to our plural likeness singular and let them man and woman plural rule. So why would I bring that up? I bring that up to demonstrate the diversity, but unity within the Godhead. And how marriage is a unity, he says, the man and the woman are to be one flesh, but there's diversity because you have male and female. 
Gender is very important uh, in displaying the glory of God. So God in relationship creates man in relationship with gender distinctiveness. Gender was created by God to complement each other. God brings two together as one, but maintains two distinct genders because male and female are made in his image. There is singularity and plurality to God, and there's plurality of sexuality in male and female with unity in marriage. It is strikingly beautiful the way that the marriage relationship between a man and a woman reflects the diversity and the unity between the father, the son and the spirit in a unique way that no other combination of relationship can display. And by the way, let that be something we take here from today. It should caution us to be very careful if we're single about the relationships that we're developing that might be moving toward marriage. But it also doesn't encourage us who are currently married to consider the importance of the testimony to the world about the Trinity, the triune Godhead that's there in our own marriage relationship. It's interesting, isn't it? And I want to just say again, don't get discouraged. Uh, If you're here today and you're divorced or you're single, don't get discouraged. We're going to talk about that. Nothing to be ashamed of. Okay, Uh, we'll we'll see what God has to say about all of that, because it's all can be wonderful uh, when done uh, his way. So Satan understands this truth of God's image in the plurality of the sexuality of unity in marriage. And so he is always at work to destroy it. So I think this will be our last slide. Here's some encouraging words for everybody. So what we've seen just so far this morning is that to understand the nature and purpose of any relationship, every human relationship, we must first begin with a study of the relationship within the triune Godhead. Remember earlier how I was talking about how when we study theology, when we study the Bible, many times a lot of problems kind of resolve themselves or work themselves out. This would be one of those times. How the Father, the Son, and the Spirit interact with each other in the scriptures is a way for us to see how we are supposed to be interacting with each other. So once again, the best place to go to get help with any relationship is to the word of God. And to study God himself, to study Christ himself, to study the Holy Spirit himself and how they interacted in relationship with one another. And it doesn't matter if you're married or single, old or young. This applies because we're all created to be in relationship. Right. I think we'll just stop. We'll pick up with that next week. Why don't we stand together and have a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to praise you uh, for your love for us. Uh, The fact I know I was talking with a young man last week uh, and he was asking so many questions about God and about eternity. And we were able to to talk about uh, if we try to live our lives without a relationship with God, then our life really 
becomes meaningless and without purpose. And he it was interesting to me. He totally very quickly agreed with that, uh, that you just have to live for the moment or live for the next thing. Uh, So, Father, my prayer is that over the next five or six weeks uh, that we would humble ourselves before you, uh, that we would allow you to open our hearts to the truth of what your word says about marriage and family, about relationships, uh, and that we would understand that you created each of us because you want to be in relationship with us and that you will doggedly pursue us in order to have us to yourself. And you will often allow us to struggle and wrestle with some difficult things so that we may come to the point that we cherish our relationship with you more than any other relationship. So, Father, we have to say thank you for the struggles. We have to say thank you for the heartache. And we say that not because we're masochists, but because we know that you work all things together for our good. We know that your agenda for our life is to transform us into the image of Christ. And you will not compromise on that. And you are even willing to sacrifice our comfort uh, and our dreams to have us to yourself. And my prayer is that we wouldn't see that from a negative lens, but from a positive lens. That you love us so much that you're not going to let anything get in between, including our own hearts, our own self. So, Father, my prayer is that over the next many weeks you would open our eyes, uh, that you would encourage us, that you would even bring repentance if we need that. Uh, That you would renew and refresh and reinvigorate our marriages, our parenting, our friendships, uh, and more than anything, our walk with you. Uh, So, Father, our world needs a clear message of what the family is all about. So I pray uh, that you would give us many opportunities, uh, not just with our words. We want opportunities to be able to witness, but opportunities for our Family relationships to reflect your presence uh, in how we live in our homes. And so we just want to set aside our hearts, our lives to you, especially over the next many weeks, dedicating our homes, our families to you, Father, uh, and uh, asking you uh, to take your scripture uh, and uh, speak it to us, Father, uh, and Just put it heavy upon our hearts because we want to see Christ exalted. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here, everybody. I hope you have a great day.